Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, brought to you by HypeBot.com. Lots of love and a huge shout out to Bruce and everybody over at HypeBot for everything you do to support the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. We appreciate it greatly. Um, Jay, we have a special guest joining us this we week. We do. We do have a special guest. We have Chris Reisick, um coming all the way from Detroit, Michigan. Um, uh. Chris runs uh, Soul Tracks, and if you haven't seen Soul Tracks' website or their emails, uh, definitely check it out. Um, I've been a, a big fan uh, for a few years, uh, as some of my clients uh, show up often, uh, and it's just a, a fantastic resource. Uh, check out the website and the uh, the email. Um, Chris is also involved in venture capital, but what really grabbed my attention uh, besides Soul Tracks was uh, Chris wrote an article um, uh, in April um, called Spotify Could Kill Jazz and Classical Music. And one of my clients uh, is a boutique jazz label. So I was very interested in, in that article. And I found a lot of the things that, Chris, that you wrote in that article um, were really interesting. Um, but before we dig into that, um, welcome to the uh, podcast. Well, thanks, Jane. Thanks, Michael. It's great being here. I, I love reading your your uh, weekly emails, and so it's nice to be able to talk to you in person. Excellent. Thank you. So tell, before we dig in, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and, you know, how you started Soul Tracks 15 years ago. Sure. Uh, so I've been in venture capital uh, for about 20 years, and the first investment I ever made was a company called Launch Media, which was sort of like Pandora before Pandora. And um, so, and I've been involved in music one way or the other for pretty much my entire adult life. So I had the idea to create uh, a content website devoted to soul music. Uh, there, there really wasn't a website out there that did what I wanted to do, which was create a, a website that would give reviews, that would break new music, and that would, uh, and especially back when I created this in 2003, would would help classic soul artists connect online with their fans because there was a big gap back then, which has closed somewhat, but but still it's out there. And so I started Soul Tracks literally on my wife's computer in the kitchen 15 years ago, and it's it's grown into a site. We're number one in the soul music segment uh, in the world. Uh, and it's really been a great connector of classic soul artists, newer soul artists who really aren't on broadcast radio, um, and people around the world who love that genre. Is there some discovery there? Um, is there? I mean, there's not enough hours in the day. You're you're a busy guy, but uh, do do you discover new soul artists? And I, I noticed it's not just soul. Um, there's some you know, jazz leaning, you know, some even pop leaning soul. Um, how do people get your attention uh, for soul tracks? Well, it, it, there's a lot of discovery that goes on. In fact, that is what the site has grown into more than anything is a discovery site uh, because there aren't many good places to discover new soul music or <clears throat> I'm, I'm talking so pretty expansively, which includes sort of vocal jazz, uh, some crossover gospel, even some soulful pop. Um, and so probably 60% of the articles that we do are new music. Uh, so we probably get 10, 12 submissions a day from artists 
and we have to screen through and, and try and find the one or two real gems that we think our listeners will like. And it's especially gratifying when we can present something to our listeners, an artist they've never heard of, um, who they're not going to hear on the radio, and, and for us to be able to give that first listen uh, to our audience is, is pretty gratifying. And, and it's it helps connect what tend to be fans in their 40s and 50s with newer artists who couldn't connect with them in another way. Yeah. How do you get the message out? Are you building playlists on the DSPs? Are you using social media? Are you doing advertising? How, I, I know that some of my PR agents uh, deal with you. Um, how do you get the word out? Uh, all of those things that you mentioned. Uh, you know, we we have a pretty good uh, a pretty good uh, placement all through uh, the search engines. Uh, we use a lot of social media with our audience. It's particularly Facebook, not as much Twitter, um, and uh, we have a pretty strong subscriber list, email subscriber list. Yeah. And, and even though email has been around a long time, it's still a really good way uh, to connect with our with our readers. Yeah, I was going to ask you uh, about that because. Some people forget about the power of ECRM. I mean, emails work, especially for kind of the age group that you talked about. I mean, I get the Soul Tracks, you know, email each week, and, you know, I think it's very well kind of laid out. You know, it's not too text heavy, but just enough to kind of, you know, give you the information that you need. Um, I imagine you look into your, you know, insights and analytics. Is that how you kind of know who your audience is and who to target? Yes. I mean, our audience is pretty eclectic. Uh, it is, as I said, the, the median age would be around early 40s, and it's a bell curve around that. It's mostly U.S. and Europe, so about two-thirds U.S. and maybe 20% Europe. Uh, wow. And, and even within smaller that, than I thought it might be. I, uh, yeah, and, and even within that, you, you sort of see it is – African-American women age 45 and then British men age 52 or a sort interesting. of interesting. Yeah, it really is interesting. Yeah. Well, let's let's dig into this this article because I hadn't read anything like that, Chris, and, and I thought it was very insightful. And, and I look at this really carefully because consuming music, you know, liking something on Facebook or listening to a playlist or downloading a, an MP3 or buying a CD, they're all different levels of engagement. They're different uh, activities, but there's some things that kind of go on under the hood a little bit. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the Spotify could kill jazz, soul, classical music, really article and kind of what led you to, to write it in the first place. And then talk a little bit about some of the, the points that you made in the article. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I was hearing from a lot of the artists I deal with, uh, folks who have traditionally been able to make a living making soul music, and it's become increasingly difficult for them to the point where they can't make money recording music anymore. And even though they've, they have a good audience, their audience continues to listen to them, the manner in which their audience listens has changed over the past, let's say, seven or eight years. And consequently, what the artist can get from their, uh, from their recordings has changed. So you're traditionally, and we'll just go back a few years, you know, seven years ago, 
typical artist I would deal with could sell, let's say, 20,000 CDs when they come out with one. And that's not even a big artist, but a medium-sized artist could mm -hmm. sell 20,000 CDs. Well, that's 20,000 CDs where a percentage, you know, a pretty hefty percentage of those sales went directly to the artist. And there was this connection. If I liked an artist, I bought their CD. And even if they get $5 from that CD, that's $5. And there was, as a fan, I had a, a direct financial connection with the artist I liked. And that's the way it's always been through vinyl and sure. eight tracks and cassettes and all that. Um, now streaming has come on and has changed that bargain between fan and artist. Uh, so right now, if, if I'm a big Spotify fan, I'll find my artist and I'll just start playing their, their songs. But there is a much more tenuous connection between what I'm doing and what the artist gets paid. A few years ago, there was there was a big hue and cry about the lack of money that Spotify was paying artists generally. And that has kind of come around as Spotify has grown. The checks being written overall to the music industry are increasing, and the, the industry had a pretty good year last year. But the way the money is allocated is, is the real thing that I wanted to point out. There is no longer that connection between me and the artist I like. All the money from subscriptions like mine with Spotify go in a big pool. Uh, and where that the way that money gets then allocated to artists is based on total streams or total listens of their songs. The problem with that is there's now this disconnection between me and my artist. Studies show that 15 year, a 15-year-old is likely to listen to Spotify five times as much as a 50-year-old. And so what has happened is that when you're allocating all the money from Spotify based on total streams, the 15-year-olds are ruling who gets paid. And I pointed out in the article this, um, this young 17-year-old rapper who just got a, uh, an $8 million deal with a record company. At the same time, I pointed out one of the more popular soul singers was celebrating the fact that she got a million streams, which would translate to about $3,000. Uh, and what's happened over time is that even though these artists, um, these artists, especially the ones that skew to an older audience, even though they have the same number of fans that they had before, and their fans are still listening before, uh, just as they were before, <laughs> the money isn't flowing to them. It's flowing to the younger artists because a 15-year-old has a whole lot more time to listen than a 50-year-old, um, and it skews all the way the, that the, uh, the numbers uh, are allocated between rap artists and pop artists on the one hand, and then artists in soul, jazz, classical, uh, and other areas that tend to skew to older audiences who are still paying in like they used to, but simply don't listen as much as younger. Interesting. Artists. So it's more based on the number of streams and not the revenue of the fan base. Exactly. Would would exactly. would would you be advocating then for a a change in the in the the structure? So, as a user, if I'm paying my ten dollars a month instead of going into a giant pool of all artists, it just goes into a pool of the artists I listen to. That's exactly what I talk about in the article and, and advocate, Michael. And it's interesting. Since that article came out, 
I've been contacted by an awful lot of people um, who have worked who have worked either at labels or even in the streaming services. And what I didn't realize is that there was a point. Um, certainly, the guys at Spotify were advocating for this. Okay, we'll just have we'll just use overall streams. But at some of the record companies and even some of the other streaming services, there was the exact discussion. Should we create sort of individual stream rates for each subscriber where their subscription money goes to the artists they listen to? Or should we do this simpler, you know, sort of seemingly more egalitarian, but, um, you know, method that's been used now? And ultimately, they did the analysis and at the labels, they decided it doesn't really matter to us at the major labels because, you know, it just depends who they sign. Um, you know, they didn't really have, they didn't worry that much about it. And ultimately, they decided we'll go the simple route and do it based on total streams, um, which, you know, maybe with an unintended consequence that we've had this 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 revenue problem that we have now. Do you think that the, the, the artists went, or not the artists, the labels went that route because that works in the best interest of the labels and not in the best interest of the artists. I mean, you know, if the, art, if, if the labels are getting the payout from Spotify for the artists they represent, I assume they don't really care how Spotify is splitting it up. It's all coming into them anyway. I think that's right. And, I, and it does allow the labels, you know, I, I think it becomes simpler for them in some ways. If you can push a smaller number of artists in the right genres, you know, you can really make um, a limited number of artists, uh, you know, that, that are on your label very, very successful. Mm. You know, it's easier to push 20 hip-hop artists than it is to push 200 artists sort of across the board. So it may even have been in the major label's advantage to have it come out this way. It seems like to me it's also might have been an easier route to go this way from an accounting standpoint, from tracking play. I mean, when, when, when it's just one big pool, that's easier than saying, hey, Michael Branvold, this month you only listen to these six artists, and therefore your $10 gets divided among those six artists, and now you've got to figure out how to make sure it ends up in their pocket. It, it certainly is simpler to explain. You know, the folks I talked to, um, about the accounting and even the tech element said it's not that big a deal uh, really? to do it either way. But it is certainly an easier explanation. And, and again, on the surface level, it seems fairer to do it the way that it has been done. Is it, but that's is just it, on the surface. You know, so if on a tech and accounting level, it's not necessarily harder one way or the other. Would it be more challenging right now to change an existing system to a new system? Is that a big challenge? I think it would be a big challenge because a lot of people have have stakes in what's going on. Sure, there are con there are certainly contracts. Con contracts have to be rewritten. <clears throat> you know, the question is: Is this a big enough deal to create the opportunity for a new competitor? I don't know that. Perhaps you could have a competitor that focuses on independent artists, independent labels, sort of, you know, niche areas. Um, where it could work this way. I, I don't know that. Yeah, I think I, you bring up a really good point, Chris, and that is that right now there's not much that differentiates, you know, the Spotify, Apple, Deezer, you know, titles. 
there's some minor things. Maybe it's a, a sound quality issue with some folks if they care. But if one of the existing music services were to kind of move to this model, and, uh, which sounds like a more fair way of paying, it, it might be a way to differentiate them and grow their base. Right. The most obvious one would be title, which has, you know, has tended to, you know, have, they've, they focused on not notwithstanding kind of the negative things that have happened in the past few weeks, they focused on being artist friendly and they're, you know, kind of having trouble getting, getting traction with their current model. This could be, a, they would be the most obvious of them to try this alternative way to do it. But e- e- sure. even, even in, in that case, I mean, title has dealings with all the major labels, the same ones that Spotify has. Why would, and I'm just throwing this out as devil's advocate. Why would a major label A say, okay, title, I'm willing to do it all completely different just for you, as opposed to just saying, just take the same deal we gave everybody else. Why are we, we're not going to cut a specifically different contract just for your service. There's no upside to us for that. No, it's a great point. And that could be the reaction. You know, probably the answer is always money, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. The only way it would work is if, if title made it worth their while to do that. Right. Right. I mean, you know, they say it's it's not about the money. It's about the money. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's always about the money. Is, is this yeah. is this something that that could get that 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 could get some traction by artists making more noise about this type of new structure by fans saying we want our artists we want our hey i want my money to go to my artist i mean is that a a possible route here that you know a groundswell of people going all right i want you to change yeah i think it's it's going to have to come it's going to have to come in, in some sort of movement like that you know and i think about what we're talking about here is sort of the opposite of the way the rest of the economy is going. I'm wearing a pair of jeans here that, you know, if I spent 10 minutes, I could figure out the farm in North Carolina where the, you know, the cotton was grown. Uh, it's, you know, the whole idea about transparency, about consumer empowerment. You know, mm-hmm. think about how, especially in, in, for instance, in the food world, everybody is empowered to to have their money go exactly where they want it to go. This has moved in the exact opposite direction. It's the opposite of empowerment. It's sort of one size fits all, and my money goes in, and I have no idea where it ends up. So it it removes the connection of, of my money going where I would really want it to go. So it would take a movement like that. I guess I don't, you know, part of the idea for the article was simply to educate folks about this situation that is rising. Um, it's going to take, you know, a thousand articles like mine, I think, yeah. to to ultimately get people to care enough to create, you know, ultimately to create the opportunity for some entrepreneur to figure out there is a business to be made in, in having a better system. Yeah, I, always, I also feel like there is a groundswell and I, I believe it's it's growing where people want transparency, you know, in this space. But also, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Like, for example, you know, Spotify and the other DSPs, they do pay out money. You know, they're not, in my humble opinion, they're not ripping people off. They're paying two-thirds of their 
uh, revenue back just like Apple iTunes did to the rights holders. And I think people get confused sometimes. Spotify doesn't pay artists 99.9% of the time. They pay the rights holder, which, you know, in a lot of cases is the record company. And you need to make sure you have a good deal uh, with your record company. I mean, before we even talk about some of these issues that you're talking about in your article, which are legitimate, if you didn't write the song, if it's not a controlled composition or you're splitting it with six other writers, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you may not be making um, the revenue that you should on streaming services. And then couple with that, you know, what you bring up in the article, um, you need to kind of level the playing field. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, it's, it's not that streaming services are bad. You know, these things have been around like a week and a half, you know, we, we have room and we have time to correct the course. Right. Oh, I, I mean, it's clearly been uh, the, 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 the evolution of streaming services. Clearly, it's a service that people want and it's accomplishing, you know, great goals for, for fans. And, you know, in some ways it's, it's really empowering, right? Because all the things at your fingertips, uh, but it's not perfect. And the answer isn't, you know, and I got some people commenting, well, the answer is to go back to CDs. That's not the answer. Uh, the technology is really right. good and, and the, the benefits are really good, but yeah. it does have a problem. Well, I think at, at the end of the day, like everything in any business, it always comes back to the contracts and the deals. You know, the, you can't blame the technology because technology is always going to evolve and always going to move forward. But if the contracts and the deals around that technology are still set 20 years ago, it's that becomes the challenge that becomes the problem and uh, you know to jay's point we just hear too many times people screaming that it's unfair but they don't really understand the contract they signed to begin with right right no i that's a, it's a great point uh, you know the the one thing is i think what we've identified here is one of many issues that are going to have to flesh out over the next few years including the fact that you know to to mention what you said jay it is not sustainable for Spotify to be spending 70 cents in the dollar for con for, you know, for content like that. Name me another tech company that, that pays 70 cents in the dollar before you even get into the administrative fees. So Spotify may be worth $25 billion, but you know, part of my business adventure capital tells me that is not sustainable. Uh, and either they, they're going to have to get new contracts with the record companies and, and with the labels and the rights holders anyway, or Amazon, Apple, and those who can absorb those losses will ultimately take yeah. over. Well, you make up a really good point there, Chris, and that, that is that it seems as though, you know, the companies where music is not their core business, you know, the Apples that you just mentioned or Google or Amazon or whoever, you know, they're, they're going to be okay. But when you talk about these standalone services like Spotify, I think you're absolutely right. And you know this from your venture capital experience. You know, I, I wonder sometimes, unless they raise their rates considerably, <clears throat> increase their subscriber base considerably, um, or on the kind of freemium side, increase their ad revenue extensively, you know, 
isn't the basics of business to bring in more revenue than you spend? <laughs> it is. It is. And, and it, it's going to be very difficult for them to, to ever get that with the current model that they have. You know, ultimately, I would think they're going to want to get into a situation where there is a pay per spin and then they can work from there. Um, but I don't know that they'll get that. But certainly the, the model of them paying 70 cents in the dollar out to right holders isn't going to be a way to, to create a, a long lasting business. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating for me because if I'm spinning uh, the hell out of one of my favorite artists, I feel like, you know, that should they should be rewarded for that, you know, with the 10 or $15 a month I spend on that DSP. And from, you know, what we've learned from you, that's not really the case. No, that's right. And, you know, kind of getting back to the theme of the article, my concern is that a lot of the artists that, that I love and that you know, in other niche areas, blues, et cetera, that people love, we're just not going to see recorded music from them much anymore. You know, they'll continue to tour, um, but they're going to have to make a decision. Do I record music knowing that not only will I not make money on this, I may actually lose money recording simply to feed my touring business? I mean, that's a big change in the model that we've all grown up with. Right. Do you think that could adversely affect the number of artists that are doing soul, jazz, classical, and kind of diminish those genres? For sure. Absolutely. And I'm fortunate that we haven't seen that yet. Um, we are seeing artists recording less frequently already. Sure. We're seeing we, some we, of the smaller... We hear, we hear plenty of artists who say, why should I record if no one's going to buy it? Right. Right. And and some of the independent labels we see are struggling a little more. They're having to sort of change the nature of their relationships with the artists uh, because you know the recording side is not paying for them. Uh, so and they have to make the decision, right, Chris? I mean, should we drive? If I'm running a jazz label or a soul label or a classical label, I have to make that decision. Should I drive my traffic to Amazon, uh, iTunes for downloads? Or should I drive to streaming where some of these issues exist? Exactly. They're really tough questions, and I don't know how they're going to get resolved. Well, yeah. you know, it, it seems to me, you know, you wrote this about jazz and some of these, these niches, but this impacts pretty much any, any genre. It's mainly about the size of the artist that you are in your genre. Unless you are that major artist up there with the Drakes of the world, it doesn't matter anymore. You are so small and inconsequential that your your revenue from selling music, whether you're a jazz artist or a rock artist or a death metal artist, doesn't matter anymore because you're not you're not sell you're not making money from that anymore. Exactly, and it's interesting you mentioned death metal. One of the letters I got was from a death metal artist who said, it's not just jazz and soul, it's it's us too. So you're right. There are a few huge artists who are going to make an awful lot of money. Um, and the whole notion I think we all had when the internet came, which was there's this new world of opportunity you know, that doesn't have the same filters that had before that an independent artist now has direct access to audience and, and, and it's a whole new world uh, that has now changed again to actually have 
probably a, a greater filter than there ever was before. With, you know, have, you, have you heard the argument from anyone that is counter to your article that says, look, you know, it's a meritocracy. Um, this guy, Drake and the Chainsmokers are getting more spins. They should get more revenue. Um, did you get any, any backlash? Not much. And maybe it's a sort of a selective audience. The people I'm right to, uh, you know, they're the choir that I was singing to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were a few people who, who sort of said, you know, sort of stop whining. It is a meritocracy. Um, but I would say most of the people who thought through the issue realized right now we have a very imperfect solution. And there are unintended consequences to that that we're all feeling. You know, I, I, I recall, I mean, I myself have said it, and many people have, the Internet levels the playing field in the music industry. We can all we can all record our music. We can all distribute our music. We can all we can do everything that anybody else can. But the reality is that level playing field is now gone like this again in the world of streaming because on Spotify, it is not a level, I shouldn't say Spotify, just in streaming in general, it's not a level playing field. It's not a level playing field, you know, and and you have playlists that are dominating, you know, where the money ultimately goes. And so it it is, it is a, it is a real problem. You, you, you've said it, it's, it's a real problem. You know, I've touched one element of it, but you now have ultimately it looks like what we're going to have maybe four services maybe five services that will you know control two-thirds of the revenue that goes out from recorded music and and they're going to set the rules yeah not unlike you know years ago it was retail yeah, i was just going to say it used to be Tower. yeah you had best buy walmart <clears throat> target you know they they set the rules yeah, and then when, but, you, when you went but, to downloading, you know, it was if iTunes. you're if you're in the streaming world right now, look at what happened to those dominant players in the retail. Where are they now? Right, right. Yeah. Fascinating conversation, Chris. I, I really enjoyed that that article, and uh, and I also really enjoy uh, Soul Tracks, and I encourage our our viewers and listeners to to check it out and subscribe to it. It's uh, you do a really great job there. Well, thanks, Jay. And, and as I say, I enjoy I enjoy now reading your email every week because I, I learn an awful lot. <laughs> great, great. Well, where can people learn more about uh, Soul Tracks, and where can they find you uh, on the web, Chris? So, www.soultracks.com uh, is the website. On that site, you can see the links to uh, our Facebook page, our Twitter page, and and all the other things that we do. Uh, we have a really great weekly uh, email service that kind of gives the best news and you know, the most recent news. And for those who are soul music fans, we we're, we believe we are the best place to hear new music that you simply will never hear on broadcast radio. No and, argument here. And if you have to go to Spotify, it takes a lot of searching to find it. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for, for taking the time out of your busy day to join us. A fantastic conversation. And I encourage everybody to look for that article uh, that we talked about. Spotify could kill jazz, soul, and classical music, really, by uh, Chris Reisick. Uh Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Much thank appreciated. you so much. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, that was a fun conversation. You know, it was, a, it was an eye-opening um, conversation. 
that yeah yeah you know what it really doesn't make sense the way the payouts are structured right now you know i would yeah i, I, mean, I you just I, kind of assume yeah right yeah you know as a fan i love to support the artists i like and i'd like right. to see i'd like to see my money go to the artist not somebody well, that might, i don't listen to right you might think that your money was going to the artist let's say you only listen to cheap trick all day and you're paying 10 bucks a month you might assume hey they're getting my 10 bucks every month but that is not the case at all and it's going to be interesting to see how this business evolves because you know, like I mentioned, it hasn't been around that long. We're in we're in the early days; it's infancy. Um, some of these things could change, especially if there's uh, an uprising with, you know, artists, managers, labels. But I think you touched on something that is really important. It's probably not going to change unless the rights holders would benefit from it, either from a PR standpoint or a financial standpoint. Yeah, that's what I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around: is what would bring this change about uh, we yes. all kind of sit here and go yeah it kind of makes sense but things don't happen because they make sense <laughs> <laughs> can i quote on that exactly there that's, you know we, so we we don't do things because it makes the most sense you you do things based on the deal and the structure and who follow who, the money who, 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 yeah follow the money so you know i'm sitting here just kind of thinking again Spotify, as you illustrate, Spotify pays rights holders. Rights holders pays performers. That rights holder many times is a major record label. That major record label doesn't care how the money's coming in, if it's coming from this pocket and that pocket or all from one pocket and none from another. They're still seeing it all. It's all, you think of it as a funnel. They're still capturing it all. The challenge is those rights holders then would have to change their accounting to make sure a bigger chunk goes off to cheap trick and less goes to drake because that's what jay gilbert listened to this month right and i don't know what the incentive is for them to do that uh like i said unless there's a financial or pr benefit which i can't really see right now i don't see them moving that way but you never know you know again it's it's all evolving is this something where the artists have to become more educated on it, and the artist has to say, wait a second, I want my deal with you to be this way. And the more artists right. that, and, and we're not talking small artists, it's going to take the big artists, yeah. the Drakes of the world, the sure. people who are getting those multi-million, million-dollar right. deals to say, no, but I unfortunately, want... unfortunately, they're I want, the ones benefiting from the old way. <laughs> it's sort of like, are they willing to do that for the benefit yeah. of all artists? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. 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 Um, Jay, you, a quick moment. You just got back from Nashville, didn't you? Yes. Um, Music Biz 2018. Thank you. Um, It's, it used to be NARM, National Association of Recording Merchandisers. And I think this, this is the 60th year this year. And it was my 20th um, to show you how long I've been going to this thing. Um, And, and thank you for bringing it up. I mean, this this year I got to uh, host a panel called Paths to Playlists with some really big brains, um, really great people. Uh, Mike Sherwood uh, from Warner Brothers and Emily Cohen from Amazon, Mike Fink from Pandora, 
um, Matt Sawin from Caroline, um, Lloyd Hummel from Ingrooves. It was just a really great conversation, standing room only. Um, we talked about the different types of playlists. Um, we talked about how people get onto playlists and some of the challenges. And uh, the 90 minutes went by in a heartbeat, and we did get a little bit of audience Q&A. But um, maybe it's something um, that you and I can talk about in the next uh, few weeks. Um, I'm writing a piece for Bruce over at Hypebot kind of on that experience and kind of what we talked about. And, uh, you know, maybe you and I should kind of walk through that uh, with our audience and and, uh, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, lo I'd love to do that. And I know I think our audience would love to get the latest on where things stand in the streaming world and playlists. And, yeah, you know, is there hope for the little guy? I think there is. But, you know, it's evolving. Um, a friend of mine from Ingroove said, you know, the, the streaming landscape is different than it was 90 days ago. And it will be different 90 days from today. So that's what makes things like our podcast and your morning coffee email and these conversations so crucial for anybody who's trying to understand this new music business is that it's not static. It's yep. very dynamic and it's evolving. Yep. All right, cool. Well, we'll have to make uh, get that into our schedule here moving forward. Good. All right, everybody, that's another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. We'll see you next week.